If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, we have arrived at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. So in the Bibles underneath the, the chairs, it should be page 835. And so let's read what King Jesus commands us and sends us to do. This is God's word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and revealed to us in love. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Father and our God, we just read that Jesus promises to be with us, uh, together with you as our Father and the Spirit of love binding us together. And so we pray now that that would be true, that you would help us understand how great the love of God is, together with all the saints. And then we would experience the power of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit that launches us into joyful witness of this King who was crucified for us, and is raised again, who arms us with a new identity as your beloved children and gives us a, a purpose and a mission. And so I pray you give us ears to hear and hearts willing to obey and give me words that are clear and true uh, for Christ's sake and the glory of you so that your name might be famous, not us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, at the, at the end of a, a famous movie, Saving Private Ryan, there's a scene. It's a World War II film about a mission to save one young man. A young man who's behind the trenches and in Europe who's lost all of his brothers, and so there's mission to save the family from the heartache of losing the entire family in this, this war. And there's a scene at the end where Captain Miller is played by Tom Hanks who finds himself in this seemingly hopeless battle. He's been shot, he's been wounded, and he's lying against a, a motorcycle staring down an oncoming tank. Some of you might remember the scene. And, he's, and the German army is coming forward behind this tank and all he has left as an, a weak and wounded man is a pistol. Right, so just picture it, it's, it's this pea shooter, so to speak, firing at a tank, hoping against hope for victory, co really commanded to do the impossible. And I think that's how we're supposed to picture and hear the force of Jesus' words when he says to his 11 disciples and all, anyone else who might be there, I want you to invade the world, weak and wounded as you are, by sin, with the good news of my resurrection. I want you to disciple the world. Go. Go in weakness. 
This is an impossible task, yet you are armed for it, equipped for it by, by Christ himself. And so this is the Great Commission. It's famous. It's well known. It's, it's this big task to, to tell other people that Jesus loved them. He gave himself up for them if they would repent and follow him. He is the, the king, the, the one God sent who now is alive who is in charge of everything that you see and everything that is unseen. Jesus rules. And that is what Jesus tells us to do. It's an impossible task. Think of you by yourself commanded to invade the world with good news. And yet we know from history this is what happened. By the end of the first century, there was a church in Rome. Uh, because of the Apostle Paul, the great missionary, there were churches in, in Asia and Turkey and Greece, potentially as far as Spain. Uh, because of Andrew, he went north into modern-day Russia, is what we're told. Uh, Philip went from Turkey to Ukraine and Romania. Bartholomew and Thomas have were said to go as far east as India. Matthew went down into Africa, into Ethiopia. Uh, Simon, the zealot, they say possibly he went through Spain and into France and all the way up to Britain. Jude, he went into Greece. I mean, these, these little men, these nobodies in the history of the world were Jesus' foundation of the global church uh, to, sent to convince people who hate God to love him because Christ died for them. That's, that's what happened and that's what Jesus is telling us today to do. Right? So what I want to do this morning is what Jesus forces us to do, to ask the question, what is the mission of the local church and what is your and my role in it? What does Jesus say we should do as a church in Boston Spa, in, in our neighborhood, and participate in to the ends of the earth? Right? Because it sounds like a simple question, but if you've been around the church or just go to different churches, you will know this is, this is people respond to it differently. Right? Some will say that the church is here just to help Christians survive. Right? It's like a, a bunker in an evil world. Just disciple the Christians. God will save who will save, but make disciples of those in this room. Because Jesus' words there were only for the apostles, is the argument. <laughs> which you will see is not true, just to be clear. <laughs> Others argue the church should be laser-focused and everything about them should be solely on evangelism. Right? As one local church says, we will do everything short of sin to, make, to introduce and bring people into a relationship with Jesus. Uh, if you go around our community, you'll find others that don't worry as much about the resurrection and whether it's true or not. Their mission is to love their neighbor, to feed the poor, to, to fight for the powerless, to, to overcome social injustice. And so you're left with this question, what does Jesus want the church to do? Why do you come here? What are we being equipped for? What's the purpose of worship? What is this all tied to? And it's all summed up in these few words in the Great Commission. And so what, what I want to do this morning, I know, I'm, I know I have too much information, and lucky you, I had two weeks to think about it. 
but it's designed to get you to think about the whole book of Matthew. This is the grand summary. And it's actually designed to get you to think about all of Scripture. All authority in heaven and on earth, go and make disciples. This is tying together all these threads that came before in the Old Testament. And so I'm going to give you too much information without apology, and, and you can go back and listen to the sermon again. I'm trying to, to get your imagination, your biblical imagination, tied to what Jesus says here. Because there's a lot of power behind what he says. And so let's, let's look at it. The first thing we see here is Jesus is our resurrected commander and king. That before we ever do, before we ever hear what Jesus tells us to do, you have to be crystal clear on who Jesus is. He is our risen king. He is a commander. Who is the guy who says go and make disciples? Right? Why should I listen to him? Right? It's the first thing that happens. If I say you should go to the mall on, on Monday morning at, at 8 a.m., you're going to say to me, why? Right, so Jesus is going to tell us why. There is a therefore there. What is the therefore there for? And Jesus' answer is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That there is no place in, the corner, in any corner of the world, seen or unseen, that Jesus does not rule over. And as a a non-Christian friend told me this past week was, wow, that's a big claim. <laughs> and he's probably understating it. Right. See, the mission of the church, why you do what you do, your purpose in life, it's all rooted and grounded in the identity of Jesus as God's ruling and reigning king who has all authority in heaven and earth, who is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has the right to tell you and I what to do. <laughs> and if you say, prove it, the resurrected Jesus says, I did, I'm, I'm alive, I was dead, which is two weeks, the sermon a couple weeks ago, so go listen to that one. That's, that's the, the command. It's rooted in who Jesus is. Believe that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and because he's risen bodily, risen historically, because he's real, re as real as you or I, Obey him. <coughs> and I know this is revolutionary, but he says, obey me, go make disciples, convince your neighbors, convince your own self that I am the king. And as soon as you say that, and maybe some of you are thinking this, is who am I to tell other people what to believe? Because that's, if you hear Jesus, that's what he's telling you. Because I'm alive, because I'm the king, you need to tell other people that they need to submit to Jesus. Make disciples of all nations. Go talk to people you've never met before and tell them they need, to, they need this Jesus in their lives. Submit to him. Change the way you're living. The way you're living is wrong. Repent and follow him. But there is a truth that's truer, as truer than you or me. <laughs> a real truth. As soon as we say that, <coughs> excuse me, this is what our friends say. What's the difference between what Jesus offers and every other religion? Why should I? And one of the arguments I've heard, I've probably used it before, but it's helpful to hear it again, is, is they'll push back and say, religions are like a path up a mountain to God, and it doesn't matter what path you take. 
Religion is like a preference, like ice cream. You, know, you choose what works for you. Because when you get to the top of the mountain, you're going to find Allah, you're going to find whatever Buddhist God, Hindu God, the Jewish God, you're going to find Jesus. It doesn't matter who's up there. I'm spiritual but not religious. The path doesn't matter. When we get to the top, they say, we will see that all the religions are the same anyway. (laughs) And so one of the responses is found here. As you can politely say, do you know how arrogant that is? How do you know who's at the top of the mountain unless you're standing on top of the mountain next to King Jesus? Right? The only way you can know that all religions are the same, uh, that, that all gods are the same, is if you're up at the top of the mountain crystal clear who has all authority in heavens and earth and how to live. Right? See, the beauty of this passage is Jesus is on a mountain claiming all authority in heaven and on earth And he is the one who's saying, I came from heaven. I know what's up there. (laughs) Now I'm standing on earth telling you what's real because I love you. And if you don't believe me, look at the cross. And that's the king, Jesus, standing on a mountain telling you what to do. He's saying, I died for you. Therefore, because I've saved you by grace, obey me as your king. I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. I am standing here on the ground. I know what I'm talking about. The rest of Matthew talks about this stuff. I mean, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven to earth like lightning. Who says that? Unless you were there. Or if you add to the picture, you want to know who Jesus claims to be. Look at verse 20. Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What normal human being says such things? He says, I'm with you till the world ends. We only hear them in sappy, romantic love songs, and we know they're exaggerating. (laughs) Right? That's country music. What Jesus is promising here is something astounding. He's promising that something that only the God of the Old Testament, only Yahweh is promised to do is is to go and I will be with you. That's what God said to Abraham. I'm your God and I will be your God for you and all of your family after you, but I'll be with you forever. God said it to Moses, go, don't be afraid, I'll be with you. God said it to, to Joshua, Be strong and courageous when you go among the nations. Don't be afraid because I will be with you. Jesus, standing on a mountain, is telling the disciples, I am Yahweh standing on the earth as a human being, your creator. I am the one who will be with you until the world ends, to the end of the age. I'm your creator. That's the one who's sending you. See the picture? Jesus is promising to be Emmanuel, the Lord with us, Yahweh, God, the Old Testament God, the God who made the world, the God who is. He's saying, I'm the one you offend when you sin. I'm the reason you keep, on, keep breathing. I am the one who tells the sun to rise and to run its course with joy. I'm the one who intricately designs every snowflake, and I'm the one who tells you to go and make disciples. I am the God who is with you. That's Jesus. And so our, our mission as a church 
is directly tied to who Jesus is as Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the one that God the Father has said, Jesus, you're in charge. See that? There's more. <clears throat> because when Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth, it's painting such a bigger, much bigger picture of Jesus than I had ever realized until... Now that I'm done with Matthew, I want to go back and start over again, but you know, that'll take two more years. So, Look at how much Bible is packed into that idea that there is a human being sent by God with all authority in heaven and on earth. Go back to Genesis. Adam, I want you to rule and reign and multiply and fill the earth. I want you to be a king in this kingdom that, that we call earth. And I want you to obey me. And Adam failed. And so God promised in Genesis 3.15, these are the things we're talking about in Sunday school, but he promised right then and there that a serpent-crushing human being would be given the power and the authority to defeat evil, to overcome death, to undo everything that Adam did, to put all things under some human's feet. And so when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he's tying into that story. He's the perfect human. Go read Psalm 8. We just sang it with the kids. That's what it says. What is man that you would think of us? He's given them dominion and power over everything. And let me ask you a question. What kind of, how's the authority in your life working out for you? <laughs> what do you actually have control of? I mean, that, Monday happens and I'm reminded that even I don't listen to me. <laughs> I'm still a sinner. And so Jesus is a man, a human being with all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the one that God has sent to defeat evil. And he's going to do that now through the church by converting sinners. <coughs> all right, so... All authority in heaven and on earth is begin to Jesus as a human being. Jesus is also the better Abraham. If you go back to Matthew 1, it says, this is the good news about Jesus, who is Abraham's son, and who is David's son. And so Matthew's point from the beginning is that Jesus is the son of Abraham. Jesus is going to be God's faithful servant through whom Jesus would bless every human being in the world, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And so when Jesus, if you just read Genesis 12, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you to read the whole Bible, but <laughs> Jesus came to give the gift of God to sinners from every tribe, tongue, and nation, to moral failures, to sinners, to selfish people, people like me, people who are unwell, people who are sick, people who are unrighteous, as Jesus said in Matthew 9, he came not to call those who are well, but those who are sick from all the world. And so it's now Jesus is the one who is all authority in heaven and on earth, the better Abraham, everyone who blesses Jesus by faith. Well, Jesus says, you now inherit the whole earth in him. Those who curse Jesus are cursed to live forever without God. The blessing of Abraham promised long ago is that the nations would know God again. 
intimately. The God who is, the God who is love, the God who longs to live in delight on earth with his creatures. See, Jesus has that authority to give you the gift of God, whether you're a Jewish or non-Jewish. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. You could say Jesus is a better Joshua sent to lead God's people among the nations to include the Rahabs of the world. Those who say, I've done so much bad stuff, nobody would ever think to include me in anything good. I'm so ashamed. You know, Rahab was a prostitute. But he also welcomes those who don't think they could, that they need help. Right? See, what Jesus does is he leads the charge of God's people into the world to give the gift of God to the nations. You could argue uh, Jesus is the commander of the Lord's army from Joshua 6. Or if you remember the story where God tells Joshua, this is the way you're going to conquer an enemy city. Just walk around it a bunch, and I'll give you the victory. And before the, the battle, a mysterious human, godlike angel figure who was called Yahweh, but is also called a messenger of Yahweh, and he comes with a sword drawn. And Joshua approaches him and says, are you for us or against us? And the angel says, well, neither. You're a sinner, they're a sinner. I'm just the commander of the Lord's army. I'm going to give you the victory. <coughs> now I have come. And so what Jesus is doing here as the commander of the Lord's army, the church, who has all authority in heaven on earth, he answers that question differently, doesn't he? Jesus, are you for me or against me? And because of the cross, we can say he's for me. Who will bring a charge against Jesus' loved ones? Who will say they're guilty? Who will accuse them if they have Jesus on their side? Because the death and resurrection of Jesus forgave everything and made you unaccusable in God's sight, justified. All through faith in this King Jesus who has the authority from God to say, you are forgiven. Rise and follow me. You see, all authority in heaven and on earth ties in every thread from the Old Testament to Jesus. You see it? Jesus, the commander of the Lord's army with crucified hands says, change the way you're living and follow me. Change the direction, just follow me. And this is the foundation for evangelism and discipleship, why we are sent, because he has the right to tell us what to do. Jesus reigns. Let me sum, sum all this up. We are a Presbyterian church, which has to do with our form of government. And all, we, all it really means is we are a church who submits to King Jesus. And one of the devote. <laughs> Uh, the, the document that we use as a Presbyterian church to organize is this thing called the Book of Church Order. I had to take a whole class on it in seminary. <coughs> but you know how it starts, the very first chapter? You can look this up online. I'll give you a copy later. But the verses are in your outline. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and Ephesians chapter 1. And it just says this. 
Jesus, upon whose shoulders the government rests, his name is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there be no end. He is the greater David. He sits upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to establish it with judgment and justice forever. And then it quotes Ephesians. Jesus has all power given to him in heaven and on earth by the Father who raised Jesus from the dead and set Jesus at God's own right hand, far above every principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also that which is to come. And they have put all things under his feet and gave Jesus to be the head over all things, the church, which is his body, the fullness of God that fills everything. And this Jesus went up into heaven and gave all kinds of gifts to the church. And the, the point is, the church is Jesus' church. He's in charge. He's the, he's the greater David that Matthew started with, the son of David, the promised king of old, who's going to rule and reign over everything forever. That's the one who says go. And so, I would be practical here. Friends, Hope Church is Jesus' church. It's not my church. It's not the elders' church. Uh, we, what we try and do here is because Jesus told us to. And if, if you don't know this Jesus, he is inviting you now. He is the one who loves you and gave himself up for you, who was crucified, dead, and buried. And it is God's plan to include you if you would repent and come to him, to fall on your face, to worship him as the disciples do in our passage, confess your sin and say, this is the king. I can't believe he loves me. That's who Jesus is. He unapologetically, he doesn't say, would you, would you please let me come into your heart? He stands up as the one with all authority in heaven and on earth and he looks you in the eyes and says, you, I command you to follow me. You're not living according to God's law. You're not living a life of love. You've broken every commandment God has ever given. And yet I still want you to be with me, weak and wounded as you are. I send you. <laughs> but you have to respond in faith. Now, the second, second point here, as he calls you in, what, is he, what does King Jesus want the church to do? Right? All, everything Jesus tells you to do is grounded on who he is. What are the church's marching orders if he is the commander of the Lord's army? And the only command here is simple. I want you to make disciples. Could I get someone to get me a bottle of water, Fred? Thanks. I know last time you got it and I didn't need it. <coughs> now the only command here is to make disciples of all nations. All right, so Jesus looks at a bunch of ragtag fishermen and tax collectors, just a bunch of moral misfits, right? The island of misfit toys. He says, I want you. You are, you are my church and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He wants people like you and me to go. To take Jesus and his presence and his good news into all the world. To do this impossible task. 
And so, this is what I, wa- I really want you to think about, and I want to think about with you, is that the command to make disciples is bigger than we are able to do on our own. It's the grand adventure of the Christian life, but King Jesus says, I want you to do something you're not able to do. With your words, persuade others to follow Jesus. Change the world against, with words against those who are armed with the power of the government, armed with hatred, with real swords, with guns at times. Right? Go in weakness and take over the world for Christ's sake. Right? Armed with the cross. It's not real triumphant to say, go, take up your cross and follow him. <clears throat> and yet this is the command. And so I want you to hear the, the bigness of the task, right? Jesus tells us to make disciples. Thank you, Fred. He tells Israel, I want you to take the promised land and stay faithful. They blow it. Jesus says to the disciples, don't take one nation. Take the world, <laughs> right? Go to the coast. Go to people who don't speak your language, who worship a completely different God, and use the sword coming out of Jesus' mouth, his words, and teach them to obey everything Jesus taught. That's the mission of Hope Church, to teach people to follow Jesus. People across the street, people around the world. That's, it's not that complicated, and yet it's very difficult. I mean, do you, do you feel the bigness of the task? Do you feel small and insignificant yet? Are you participating in that task? Let <laughs> right. me give this illustration. Um, imagine that the distance from the Earth to the Sun, 92 million miles, was the, the thickness of one sheet of paper. That the distance from the Earth to the nearest star alone would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. The diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. And our galaxy is just a single speck, one of an infinite number of galaxies just in the part of the universe that we can see. We're continually seeing more as scientists. And if, as the Bible says, Jesus holds all that together with just a word of his power, is that the kind of person you ask into your life to be your assistant, (laughs) to be your helper? to be your butler, to be your consultant. Someone you relate to is king. He's either the Lord of life, your life, or nothing at all. And and that king says, I want you to make disciples. This wasn't my illustration, it was someone else's, but it's so good. Because it's saying, I hold everything in my hands, go. (laughs) It's hard to ignore. And your obligations are first and foremost, you have to be a disciple of Jesus first. You have to get to know him. To make disciples, to teach them everything Jesus has commanded, you have to be taught first. You have to be teachable. (laughs) You have to be humble and willing to learn and say, I don't know this God, I need help. I don't know the scriptures, I need help. I don't know the gospel, I need help. Are you willing to be taught? Does the current... How you spend your week, are you, are you trying to be taught? Are you, 
is one of your goals in life, I'm including myself here, to become a gospel expert. <laughs> because the King of Kings says, that's your call. That's the command. See, Matthew, <laughs> he wants you to see Jesus as a better Moses. That's, that's how Matthew's constructed at the gospel. Right? Jesus stands on a mountain after redemption is finished and says, obey me because I've saved you by grace. You didn't earn this. You don't deserve to be here. I've included you simply because I love you. Now obey me. Right? Moses was the author of Genesis through Deuteronomy. There's five books. Matthew chose five blocks of teaching to put in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm trying to tell you, Jesus is better. The first one is, how do you live in relationship with this king? The Sermon on the Mount. How do you live on mission? That's chapter 10. How does Jesus build his church? That's chapter 13. It's slowly through hardship and suffering. Uh, how does Jesus run his church? How do Christians live together? Well, forgiving one another. That's Matthew 18. We're a difficult bunch to get along with, but Jesus tells you to join. <laughs> How do you live in, the, in light of the end of the world? That's Matthew 24. All right, see, the risen King Jesus, he says, now learn everything I've taught you and teach others everything I've taught you. It's sending you back to the beginning of Matthew to reread it and to study in light of the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. So let me ask you, are you being discipled? <laughs> are you following Jesus alone or do you have help? If you don't have a clue who Jesus is, we, are, we want to help you. That's why we're here. We'll help you read a gospel. That would be our genuine delight. Do you have someone else to follow Jesus with? Because that's the command. The only way to keep the command to teach others what Jesus taught is to be taught first. Now, second, you're discipled, you're taught to be taught. Uh, you're taught to teach others. Right? So that's the second part, is I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. And so part of what Jesus is telling the church to do is to grow in their understanding of him, and then the other part is to go across the street and around the world and disciple people who don't know this Jesus. See, what Jesus does is he ties together evangelism and discipleship. You can't separate them. You can't make them enemies. Because he says go. The going and the making go together. <laughs> so the first purpose of the Christian life is to know Jesus, to love him, to keep his commands, to be discipled. The second one is to make disciples. And so that means we are called to make disciples among one another. And then to grow in our ability to bring someone else alongside us who doesn't know Jesus. You feel small yet? <laughs> I mean, I do. See? <coughs> Why would I tell anyone else what to do? Jesus tells us to. Why would I tell anyone to believe in Jesus? King Jesus says so. Why would I grow in my own personal knowledge and experience of Jesus? Jesus tells me to. And why would I have an awkward conversation with anyone of saying, you're wrong, Jesus tells me what's true. 
what Jesus tells you to. Right? So, this is the mission of the church, make disciples. Jack Miller was the pastor. This is something he always said. This is an impossible task. But Jesus says, go. <laughs> you can't do this on your own. And so I got one more big point to tie all this together. But it is briefer. This is your job description. It's really simple. is to know Jesus and help him be known, to make him known among the nations. The last thing Jesus gives us here in our passage is the power to do it. How does this Christian life begin? The way into the Christian life, Jesus says, is to be baptized. This is the beginning of the Christian life. It's the gift of the gospel. This is what you want. Right? If the gift of the church is God, right, the way you begin to receive that gift is to be baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit into a relationship with the God who is. Right? So the way to follow Jesus starts with being baptized, and you've got to wonder, what does that mean? What is Jesus baptizing us into? And if you follow the train of thought of Matthew, why is he all of a sudden talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit? I've always wondered this. Because I hear it all the time as a kid, just go, and here's Father, Son, and Spirit. Where did the Trinity come from? I thought this was about Jesus. <laughs> Where'd the other two come from? But where it comes from is Jesus' baptism. You go back to Matthew 3. And in Matthew 3, Jesus comes to the Jordan River as the greater Joshua, ready to obey. And he's baptized with water. And let God the Father speaks. And God the Spirit comes down like a dove on him. The Father says, look, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus experiences that because the Spirit of love is hovering over him like it's a new creation, like a bird. And so what Jesus is saying here, when you are baptized, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you enter into that father-son-spirit dynamic that we just read at Jesus' baptism. We're doing some heavy lifting, but it's really simple. It's saying when you want to follow Jesus and you come to him and say, I haven't been living for you, forgive me. He says, all right, be baptized. And what you're baptized into is that experience where God the Father says to you, if you repent and follow him, you're my child. You're my son in whom I'm well pleased. I love you. The Spirit comes, he unzips you, he climbs in, unzips you back up. <laughs> and that love now, the Spirit of God, dwells in you. And you are now, um, once outside of relationship with this God, you are now brought into. God gives you a name, and his name is relational. And the, way, the only way that is possible is if Jesus would go through a different baptism. Uh, the one where the beloved son went through God's anger for your sin and selfishness and rebellion, your unwillingness to obey. 
so that you could be brought and baptized into a life of delight, a life of being loved by this God. Where God says to you, I rescued you because I delighted in you, (laughs) because of Christ. Do you see that? And that's the power that sends you. Because if you know yourself and I know me, I'm like Israel of old, I'm stubborn. (laughs) I don't want to listen, I'm a sinner. And so when God says, I really do, I really am delighted in you because of what Christ has done, that takes away my fear of failure. What are you afraid of when he says go? Offending somebody? The one who holds all the galaxies, you know, millions of miles of paper high, (laughs) he holds all that in his hand. He's with you. He's promised never leave to nor forsake you. And he's promised to never reject you because the gospel is true, because he's alive. See, this is the mission of the church, to go, therefore, because Jesus is king and make disciples of all nations because he is with you. If I could sum it all up this way, It feels big, but Jesus doesn't send you on this task alone. When he says, I am with you, you should read, I am with (laughs) y'all. It's together. He's with the church. He doesn't send you to do this by yourself. He says, go as a contagious community, following Jesus, making disciples wherever you go, across the street, or if you're the Emersons, Right? in another part of the world. And so, think about this. This is the greatest gift we as a church have to offer. We give people a God who loves them, and they don't deserve it. We go and give one another the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> people who were once his enemies. And so, by the undeserved... Yet, given authority invested in me by King Jesus, he says, come to Jesus, come to me. Everyone who's exhausted and weary by sin, and he will give you rest. He will give you what you need to make disciples. So come, repent and follow him. Let's pray. Father, this is a big task, and I know I, there were a lot of words said. And so I pray that Jesus would be seen more clearly, and we would have ears to hear. And you would give us wisdom together to know how to do this in Boston Spa and Galway and the surrounding neighbors, neighborhoods, to, to be witnesses where you have planted us, so that Christ might be exalted, and we would rejoice as sinners used by the hands of our gracious God. So help us hear the words to go, therefore, and make disciples, and that we would teach and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. So give us, send us by your grace, in Jesus' name, amen.